0: Emergency 911 operator 6752. Do you need police, fire, or ambulance? Or an ambulance. Who was the person that stabbed him? I don't know. We think it's somebody with an intruder
1: in the house.
2: Initially, when we got on the scene, there were a lot of things that just didn't make sense. The story didn't make sense as far as anything being cleaned up. It was more or less of everything looked staged.
1: And if you care about Kathy Wan, if you care about Robert Wan, you would share that information. Having a murder on your conscience is no small load to carry.
0: On August second, two 2006, Robert Wan, a 32-year-old married attorney, was found stabbed to death inside the home of a friend in Washington D.C. a murder still unsolved that is one of the district's most chilling haunting and mind-boggling in recent memory. Four people were inside the Swan Street house that night but the only charges came more than two years later. Victor Zaborski, Joseph Price, a partner in a top D.C. law firm, and Dylan Ward, three gay men who consider themselves a family, were all charged with obstruction of justice conspiracy to obstruct justice and tampering with evidence after a bench trial that lasted six weeks all three men were acquitted what follows is a podcast about the crime that had Washington area residents transfixed for years who murdered Robert Wong and why I'm Paul Wagner a reporter with WTTG TV Fox 5 in Washington DC I covered this case from the first days of the murder through the trial for the three men period of more than four years. In the first episode, you heard the seven-minute 911 call made from the house that night, along with some of the evidence gathered by the police. After Robert's body was taken from the house, Joseph Price, Victor Zaborski and Dylan Ward were all taken down to homicide where they were individually questioned by detectives. One of those detectives was Milton Norris. Now retired, Norris recently agreed to an interview about the case. Is first. I asked him for his impressions of Price Warden Zaborski once they had arrived at homicide for questioning.
2: They all appeared to be nervous and careful about what they they were saying. And they knew that this was going to happen. They knew that they were going to be interrogated. And so they practiced things to say and what not to say. And they stuck to it.
0: And you to this day believe that that was a made-up story, and that they had all gotten their stories together before 911 was even called. Right. Portions of the interviews with the three men were played at trial. Here's a clip from the interview with Victor Zaborski. Victor, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is the time you want to get it out. I know. Don't keep going down this road. Do you know where Joe is right now? No. Do you know where Dylan is right now? No. Do you know what they've said? You do not want to go down the road you're going down. I know that I am telling you the exact truth. No, everything that I know. You're telling us what you've agreed read. to say. As I've done in episode one, I am going to read portions of the arrest warrant affidavit for Dylan Ward, which was filed with the court in November of 2008. Here's what Detective Brian Wade wrote about the interview with Victor Zaborski. According to Zaborski, he had come home early from a business trip and learned that Mr. Juan would be spending the night at their home. He indicated that he did not see Mr. Juan when he arrived as he was already in bed at the time. Zaborski said that he and Price were asleep in bed on the third floor when he heard what he described alternately as a kind of low scream or low breathy grunts. He said that he and Price jumped out of bed and as they got to their bedroom door they heard another kind of low scream while we were at the doorway. According to Zaborski, he and Price ran downstairs and saw Mr. Wan injured in the bed in the guest room. Zaborski indicated that after the screams, he did not hear anyone running down the wooden steps to the first floor, admitting that if someone had run down the steps, he would have expected to hear it. Zaborski said he became hysterical, and Price told him to go upstairs and call 911, which he did. The 911 operator told Zaborski to get a towel and apply pressure to the wound. According to Zaborski, he grabbed a towel and Joe Price was already applying pressure to the wound. I gave him another towel. According to Zaborsky, Price was asking, what time is it? Zaborski asked the 911 operator for the time and she said it was 1143. However, the 911 recording clearly establishes that when Zaborski asked the 911 operator for the time, she indicated it was 1154. Zaborsky indicated that when he and Price discovered the body, he was screaming, but he did not see Ward in the area. Rather, Zaborsky claimed that he first saw Ward when Zaborski came down the second time when I was on the phone with the 911 operator. Zaborski also indicated that, as he was on the first floor waiting for the police to arrive, Ward came down, halfway down the stairs, and he said, Is the back door open? Quoting from the same document, here's what Detective Wade had to say about the interview with Dylan Ward. Ward said that Mr. Wong was Price's college friend who had never before spent the night at their home. During the interview Ward seemed intent on offering an implausible reason for why the back door inadvertently had been left opened or unlocked allowing an intruder access to the house. Indeed, at one point during the interview Ward was asked what happened after Mr. Wan arrived, to which he replied, nothing. We talked about his wife. We talked about our friend Lisa. We talked briefly about his job. Joe talked about the shower breaking. We talked about it being not so hot in this room. It was just chit-chat. And then Joe went outside for a second because he saw a spider or something on the light. And we, you know, refilled Joe's water and took Robert upstairs, showed him the bed. He said he wanted a shower. We showed him the shower. And that's when I went to bed. I went in my room. I was reading for like five minutes or so. And then I took my sleeping pill and went to bed. Ward also indicated that he had gone into his room, closed his door and began reading my article. He said he heard Mr. Wan take a shower, then go into his room and heard his door close and heard the latch. Ward indicated that at some point after he went to sleep, he heard some kind of noise that did not completely rouse him from his sleep. He said he then heard a commotion. Ward said he listened to the commotion for a minute, put on his robe and then exited his bedroom. Ward further claimed that upon emerging from his bedroom, he saw Zaborski on the phone speaking with the 911 operator and Price wearing only his underwear, sitting on the bed next to Mr. Wan. He also claimed to see a square towel being pressed on Robert's chest, like to staunch the bleeding or something. Ward said that it appeared that Mr. Wan was lying on top of the covers rather than under the covers. Ward said he did not see a knife but indicated that Price told him that he, Price, had moved the knife. Ward indicated that he could not say whether Price or Zaborski killed Mr. Wan as he, Ward, claimed that he did not emerge from his bedroom until well after the stabbing occurred. And now Joe Price. First listen to a clip of the interview with Price that was played at trial. The detectives are Sergeant Dan Wagner, and Milton Norris.
1: That I know Victor and Dylan better than I know my mom, there is no chance on the face of the earth anybody did anything to Robert. No. I mean, that—that that is not the answer here. you saying that
2: you know them? How well do they know you? I would say they would tell you the
1: same. You sure? I would say so, yeah.
0: You know the reason. I don't know it. I got three homosexuals in a house, mm-hmm. and I got one straight guy. What's he doing over there? What is what he doing is he, over there? It? I think we're all drinking wine. You know what's gonna happen tonight? You're coming to Jesus tonight. That's
1: what's going that's on. That's fascinating and insulting and offensive. Uh, here we go. That's why, I, that's why you're making but, me say it. But and, you know what? That's not what happened.
0: Quoting again from the court document, this is what Detective Wade had to say about the interview with Joe Price. Price said that he and Zaborski had gone to bed and sometime thereafter he heard the door chime. However, he indicated that the chime did not concern him as he thought it might have been the basement tenant returning to the house. Shortly thereafter, he claimed to have heard a grunting noise. Price said Zaborski was in bed next to him at the time. Price and Zaborski then went downstairs to the guest room and saw Mr. Juan injured, laying on the pullout couch. According to Price, He told Zaborski to go upstairs and call 911, even though there was a phone in the guest room. According to Price, when he arrived at the guest room, he found Robert Wan lying in bed, already having been stabbed. He said that he recalled that the knife was laying on Robert's stomach. Price claimed that he picked up the knife and placed it on the nightstand. It should be noted that immediately after his interview with the detectives, Price told a friend, Witness 5, that he actually pulled the knife out of Mr. Wan's chest before placing it on the nightstand. Price said he then raised Mr. Wan's shirt and noticed a stab wound to his stomach and a lot of blood on his chest. Notwithstanding the fact that Ward's bedroom was located on the same level of the house as the guest room, Price claimed that only after he found Mr. Wan injured did he first see Ward emerge from his bedroom. He was in his room. I saw him, you know, in this time frame, came out of the room. He, you know, I don't think he heard the chime. Accordingly, even if one were to accept the accounts of Price and Zaborski, neither of them can account for Ward's whereabouts, while Ward and Juan were alone on the second floor of the residence at the same time that Price and Zaborski claimed to be asleep together on the third floor. Nevertheless, Price claimed there's no way on the face of the earth Ward could even punch somebody, asserting, I know Victor and Dylan better than I know my mom. There is no chance on the face of the earth that anybody did anything to Robert. In attempting to convince the detectives that neither Ward nor Zaborski could have harmed Robert Wan, Price stated they couldn't even spank a child that was being bad. Price also told detectives that Ward takes Lexapro and, well, Bruton, for depression, but added that Ward is fine because everybody I know takes depression medication. According to Price, upon finding Robert, he checked for a pulse, lifted up Robert's shirt, and saw blood everywhere. When asked how the blood got on the towel, Price claimed, I took the towel and applied it to Robert's chest. I put the towel on Robert. I just held the towel on him, and, you know, Victor talked to 911. Price also said there was a lot of blood on the bed, According to Price, as he attended to Robert, Dylan came out of his room and looked like he was putting on his robe. It looked like he had no clue what happened, didn't hear anything. Price further offered that because Ward's room is right under the air conditioning system for the house, it hums very loud. It should be noted that detectives have been in Ward's room while the central air conditioning system was running and the noise emanating from the compressor that's on the roof above Ward's bedroom is almost imperceptible. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that Ward wouldn't hear, frankly, Price added, that he was sure. He said to Ward something like, what the F happened? What's going on? However, Price did not indicate that there was any reply from Ward. Price also stated that from the minute we found Robert until the minute the, you know, ambulance people were there, I was kneeling next to him. Price also said the police might find his fingerprints and or DNA on the knife because he picked it up. Price volunteered that the police might not find the real killer's DNA on the knife because the real killer might have been wearing a glove. When Price was asked about the front and back doors, he insisted that the front door was locked, but suggested that the back door inadvertently had been left unlocked, stating, It is completely plausible that the back door was unlocked. However, he did not suggest that the external rear security gate that is part of the seven-foot security fence had also been left open. Moreover, Price acknowledged that after the incident, the security gate was not open or ajar. Price stated that he saw the gate was closed, indicating also that once open, the gate would not swing closed automatically, but rather had to be pushed closed manually. When Price was suggesting that an intruder must have run out the back door and scaled the security fence after the incident, he stated that my best guess is it was sometime between 11.10 and 11.43 PM. Police also said this. Further investigation, including interviews with several witnesses familiar with Price, Zaborski, and Ward, revealed that the three occupants of the Swan Street residence, Price, Zaborski, and Ward, were involved in a three-way relationship. Price and Zaborski shared the master bedroom and were in a committed, personal, intimate relationship. Ward had a bedroom of his own on the second floor of the residence and was in a personal, intimate relationship with Price, This relationship included a dominant, submissive, sexual relationship with Ward in the dominant role and Price in the submissive role, as related by witnesses and as captured in multiple photographs of Price recovered from his computer. Zaborski said that he, Price and Ward were all in a relationship together as a family. According to Zaborski, Dylan's been with us for about four years. However, Zaborski indicated that Ward does not really share an equal part in the relationship, but said, we're trying to develop it into that way. Zaborski speculated that Ward could not have killed Mr. Juan because Ward is one of the nicest, sweetest people I've ever met. By all accounts and evidence, Price, Zaborski and Ward have a very close relationship and clearly have motive to preserve and protect the interests of one another. The investigation revealed that Robert Wan was heterosexual, happily married, and had no sexual or intimate relationship with any of the three residents of 1509 Swan Street. That's all I'm going to read from the arrest warrant affidavit in this episode. It was after those initial interviews with the police, the three men hired high-profile defense attorneys David Shurtleff, Tom Connolly, and Bernie Grimm. By many estimates at the time, a million-dollar defense. Here's what D.C. Police Captain C.V. Morris, the commander of the Homicide Division, had to say a year after the murder, when there had been no arrests.
2: Initially, when we got on the scene, there were a lot of things that just didn't make sense. Uh, Again, the story didn't make sense as far as anything being cleaned up. It was more or less of everything looked staged. Now it's like, okay, somebody needs to explain this. Uh, And again, everybody's since lawyered up and there's not a lot of movement on this case at this point.
0: At the same time, I interviewed Eric Holder, who would soon become the attorney general in the Obama administration. He was representing Robert's widow, Kathy, and made it clear the key to the case was in the possession of Joe Price Victor Zaborski and Dylan Ward. The
1: information that they possess is critical to the solving of this case. And if you care about Kathy Wan, if you care about Robert Wan, you would share that information. And it seems to me it's incumbent upon people who deign to call themselves friends of these people to do exactly that.
0: A year after the murder, with no charges in sight, Robert Wan's widow Kathy decided to make her first public comments, appearing at a news conference with Eric Holder and others.
1: Having a murder on your conscience is no small load to carry as you try to live I imagine as normal a life as possible. Confessing will be the hardest thing that you'll ever do in your life. A secret like the one you are hiding from the world will only grow heavier with time.
0: David Greer and Craig Brownstein are two of four men who launched the blog Who Murdered Robert Wan in December of 2008, more than two years after Wan was killed and just after police filed obstruction of justice charges against the three men. Their thinking at the time was a blog dedicated only to Robert's murder may actually help the prosecution's case. So let me just go back to when the affidavit for the search warrant came out and it appeared that the scene had been cleaned up, Mm -hmm. right? at that point were you all talking about the fact that Robert is a straight man in a house with three gay men and what was he doing there at the time was that was that a mystery at that point or was that something that you, you didn't really take notice no of? we
1: totally took notice it was one of our earliest uh, blog entries was it looking at that it what is Robert gay. we were willing to also ask questions you know immediately no totally because first for some it's a logical leap to at least like uh, especially when the information came out about all of the sort of the underlying sexual nature of what the crime was so um no we totally looked at that and that was one of the things that we thought we could bring to the case which was we could bring sort of gay eyes to a case where there hadn't been where they didn't have any and we, we thought that that if this was occurring we thought that um and by occurring like if robert was gay people would probably come out of the woodwork people might not not out of the woodwork but people might come forward and talk about it so um and nobody did and nobody has in tw- you know what 13 years since the murder so i think that our our position was you robert was not gay he was a friend of joe's and um but we did look at it, it definitely and it helps like make connections for you, but it doesn't help solve the murder in any way, stretch or form, whether Robert was gay or not.
0: Now, when you all got together after reading the affidavit, um, you said it still curls your hair even today. And and I re- recently reread it, and, and the same. It's it's chilling. It is not, not just chilling. It's It's, it's almost like a, yeah. a horror story yeah. mm-hmm. that somebody dreamed up. But it really happened mm-hmm. and so when you decided that you wanted to follow this so closely what what was it that you wanted to accomplish mm, Well, I, I don't think that
2: we really set out with any goals or anything like that none of us had any criminal justice experience <laughs> and that's obvious when you look at some of the early posts we really didn't have a legal background we never blogged before so we were kind of uh, Teaching ourselves the legal process as we went along. I think our, our initial goal is we wanted to be a compendium, a resource of everything that was known about the case. And we compiled documents, we offered opinions, one thing or another. And we 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 often said we didn't know what we didn't know about the process. And I'll you're gonna find this funny. We didn't know you could go down to the Moultrie uh, courthouse clerk's office and pull documents. <laughs> we didn't know you had to go with your own stack of copy paper. We literally taught ourselves the legal process. And we went in, you know, kind of wide-eyed and and, and fresh-eyed about this thing. And as it went on, as it developed over the course of months, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. We developed a large community of readers and a readership that
0: did have the legal background that we sorely lacked. This podcast would not be possible without the help of producer-editor Nelson Jones, a photojournalist here at Fox 5. In our next episode, we will hear more from Detective Milton Norris, who was inside the Swan Street house the night of the murder and interviewed Joe Price.
2: Once I got on the scene, What struck me was um, all the guys were wearing white robes and the house was very neat, very clean, which is unusual in some of the cases that we've been involved in. I knew that we were in for a long night because these were not your, uh, the kind of murder cases that we would normally get in D.C.